Today we're going to be talking about a worthy life, um, living a life that is worthy of God. Now I know this sounds so intimidating. Uh, trust me, it is even more intimidating when you probably just spent a week in the presence of some people who, like I just shared, have given up crazy amounts to just proclaim the name of Jesus in some really difficult places. And, and I'm asking myself after spending that week, am I really living a life that is worthy of this God that we worship? So I'm literally starting, my heart is really at a place just as you. I'm just as intimidated. I'm just as weak when I hear this word. So I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to my own heart and, and sharing what God has laid on my heart so that we can together grow in this living a life that is worthy of God. Um, here's, the, here's the beauty of the gospel. Uh, whenever we, we look at anything through the lens of the gospel, it doesn't bring condemnation. So if in this morning, listening to this topic, you're feeling, gosh, I am like way off of anything, of way off of living in any way that is worthy of God. The gospel doesn't condemn. It brings freedom. And, and, and that is my hope. That we walk back, not with a sense of condemnation, but with a sense of freedom to live a life that is worthy of God. Um, I know I'm probably putting Cindy in a spot, but Cindy, could you please help me read the passage? I'm sorry I didn't check with you before. It'll come up for us on the screen. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in, in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this is God's word. Thank you, Cindy. If there were a lot of words on the screen, allow me to just bring it down to one line. This is what Paul is doing. He's writing a letter to a church in Colossians. Uh, in Colossae, they call Colossians there. He's writing a letter to a very healthy church in Colossians, and he's making, he's writing a prayer in the midst of this letter, a prayer that God would help them live a life that is worthy of him. That is what's happening. Allow me to just pray before we start uh, and, and hear from God's word. 
Lord, we truly want to thank you because you have already prepared our hearts. Our, you made our hearts fertile soil to receive your word. So here we are wanting to seek your face. And even as we talk about this really intimidating topic, Holy Spirit, would you, would you comfort us where we may feel guilt? But would you also transform us and fill our hearts with freedom to be able to do so. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Here's, why, here's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. Firstly, we're going to be talking about why do we need this prayer? Secondly, what does it mean for us? Thirdly, how do we grow in this? Why do we need this prayer? What does it mean for us? And how do we grow in this? Why do we need this? Paul is starting off in verse 9. He's saying, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. What is the reason? Was this Colossian church a church that was lacking of? A church that felt no desire in spiritual things? No. We see when Paul starts with the address of the letter, he's writing it to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So he's not writing to a church that is lacking off and, and who's knee-deep in sin that he wants to correct them. No, he's writing it to a very healthy and faithful church. Then what is the reason? Why is he praying this prayer that they would grow to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. Why is he praying this? He gives us the reason in verse 5. It will come for us on the screen. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you have heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Simple reason. Paul is rejoicing and celebrating that they are growing in the gospel. He's saying the gospel is bearing fruit in you. And then he says, for this reason, I pray that you live a life that is worthy of God. He's praying this because the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in them. Sounds strange. Who do we pray for usually? If someone is struggling in their faith, as we should, as God-given responsibility, we should come along and pray for. But here the context is different. He's writing to a church who is already, the gospel is bearing fruit in them. And he's saying, for this reason, I'm praying for you. Strange, right? Here's why. We see from verse 13 that when the gospel bears fruit in us, that means we start to experience the reality that God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And here's why. As the light of the gospel grows brighter in our hearts, the darkness that looms around us becomes even more real. As the light of the gospel 
shines brighter in our hearts the darkness of sin becomes even more real how does this work before i was indifferent to my sin before i was indifferent to sin around i was indifferent to darkness but now the gospel is growing it is making me aware of what sin is it is making me aware of how holy god is i can't ignore this i literally can't gloss over something that is that is bringing grief to god and move on because the gospel is bearing fruit in me i cannot ignore the darkness the darkness becomes darker to my eye when the gospel bears fruit in me it starts to ache my heart it starts to ache our heart we begin to experience this resistance before we were at one with the world as we should we should be part of the world but not off it before we were one with the world enjoying everything that they're enjoying all the good and the bad but now that the gospel is bearing fruit the things that bring grief to god we cannot be indifferent to them anymore and we our hearts war against this our hearts war against this the colossians were experiencing this and you know the what the worst part is they were experiencing this resistance both in the world and in the church in the world we see in chapter 2 verse 8 he says see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition guys the the isms that are flowing around in the world right now that the world is in, in a very subconscious and conscious way wanting us to believe in if we don't believe in we are prob- will probably be rejects and uncool and unpopular is real things that are not in line with the word of god that are super cool today are growing and this war is real in the world paul is saying as the gospel grows you will see this resistance but stay strong i'm praying this for you we see the resistance in the world but also in the church when the gospel grows in us it will war with the religion of the church we see that in verse 16 and 17 in chapter 2 he says therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath these are just a shadow of things to come but the substance belongs to christ religion wants to draw us away from christ and bury us knee deep into traditions these traditions which are supposed to point us to christ which are a shadow of the true light which is jesus polishing as the gospel grows in you this resistance with religion is going to be real i'm praying for you that you be faithful that you be faithful and walk a life that is worthy of god why is paul's prayer so necessary the more the gospel grows in us the more we realize how much we need god himself to live this gospel the more the gospel grows in us the more we realize how much we need god himself to live this out to live out this gospel it's not the other way around 
We would think if someone is growing spiritually, they are good on their own. They can face whatever it is. No, it's not. The, the, when gospel bears fruit in us, it does not make us self-reliant. It makes us God-reliant. The more the gospel grows, the more we realize our need for God himself to live out this gospel. What does this mean for us then? What does it even mean to live a life that is worthy of God? What a scary thought it is. An absolutely intimidating one. I mean, to be honest, I, I, when I started wrestling with this, I wasn't ready to face this question. I, I was thinking I'm not even living a life that is worthy of my friends and my family, let alone God. But thankfully, this prayer gives us an idea of what it means for us. And I'm just hoping that as we meditate on this idea, that it appears less daunting to us and it frees us to live this life that is worthy, for, worthy of God. Let's just read from verse 10 onwards. So that you may live a life that is worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you into this inheritance. Living a life that is worthy of God involves three things. And here's my goal. I'm just going to briefly unpack these things and sum it all up into one simple thing that we can remember. Is that okay? just going to briefly unpack so that we can remember this one thing. I, I have a terrible memory, right? I, three things, one thing I'll remember. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that one thing we'll remember. The first thing is bearing fruit in every good work. Verse 10. This is an echo of what Christ says in John chapter 15. He says, I am the wine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in, in me and I in him will bear much fruit. So when Paul is praying that you bear much fruit, he's echoing this prayer of Jesus. This is a promise because it is not left to me to bear fruit. I cannot bear fruit. God bears fruit through me when I remain in him. And when Paul says, bear fruit in every good work, it doesn't mean we find out all the good things that there are in the world and go and do them. No. Whatever we put our hands to, we, bo we bear fruit in them. Yeah? So we bear fruit by remaining in Christ. Not our own effort. Second thing. He says, growing in the knowledge of God. This is more of a promise because we see that in verse 9, Paul himself is praying, we continuously ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. How do we grow in knowledge? Isn't it stupid to think the finite can understand the infinite? Unless the infinite 
reveals himself, shows himself to us, we can never grow in the knowledge of God. So that is why Paul is asking, may God reveal his knowledge to you. So what is our job? It is not to go on an intellectual exercise to mug up the Bible. Memory verses are great for our hearts, but that's not the goal in itself, to mug up and memorize the Bible and finish commentaries cover to cover. No. More importantly, we grow in our knowledge of God by gazing upon Christ through every page of Scripture. Why? Because Paul says in verse 19, in him, fullness of God dwells. So when I gaze upon Christ and feast on him, he reveals himself to me and I grow in not my head knowledge, but in my real, my heart knows him. I know Bill Gates, but I don't know him. I know my wife because I know her. Get that what it means? God wants to reveal himself that way. He wants us to know him. And unless he reveals, it's impossible. So we grow in the knowledge of God by gazing upon Christ. Again, not our effort. What's the third thing? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Friends, we've just acknowledged how much endurance and patience it takes to live the gospel in a world like ours today. And Paul is acknowledging that we are weak. We are weak. So he's saying, he's not saying work out and build your strength. He's saying you will be strengthened. You will be strengthened according to his glorious might. So we grow in patience and endurance, not by working out, but by being strengthened by God. Again, not my effort. Let me summarize all these things into one simple point. Living a life that is worthy of God is more about what God is doing in us than what we are doing for God. It's more about what God is doing in us than, than what we are doing for God. Over the past week, I, we got to hear some wonderful stories of these amazing people who are sharing their difficult stories of, of hardships, of things we, you and I think it's, it's so difficult. It's, you need super spiritual strength. But friends, these were people like you and I who just said yes. They were sharing stories of what God was doing in them more than what they were doing for God. Living a life that is worthy of God is more about what God is doing in us and through us than what we are doing for God. Oftentimes when we hear the word live a life that is worthy of God, we tend to believe that they are asking us to prove that we are worth it. 
God has saved you, now prove it. Prove your worth. Friends, that is religion, not the gospel. God's heart for us is not for us to prove our worth, but live in the worth that Christ has bestowed upon us. It's more about what God is doing in us than what we do for him. How do we grow in this? Our hearts might tend to respond in two ways. The first thing is, I need to grow in this. I need to plan out my every day, list down some tasks so that I can experience this, probably have a growth chart, track my progress, get an accountability partner. Hey, you know, we'll be in touch. You help me, I'll help you. All these are great, right? But but from previous experience, you and I know they only grow so far. Our hearts will end up being cold. So if, you're, if, you, if you are wanting to respond in that first way, would you ask your hearts to take a pause for a minute? What's the second way we might tend to respond? Dude, this thing is crazy. There is no way I can ever grow in this. If you're a Christian in church, you might be thinking, hey, all this sounds good. Probably 10 years from now, I'm, if I'm more spiritually up there, you know, I'll probably do it. But for now, let me just live my life. If you're responding in that way, would you, would you pause for a moment and look at what Paul is doing. He's giving us a third and a greater motivation. Paul is saying in this passage, verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul is saying, live a life that is worthy of God because God has already qualified you. We are merely learning to live in the kingdom that we are already part of. You're not doing this for the qualification. We are merely learning to live in the kingdom that we are already part of. How has he qualified us? He has qualified us in Jesus. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. When the father sent his son Jesus, he was the only one who lived a life that is absolutely worthy of God. Now here's the thing. He didn't live a life that is absolutely worthy of God to show you and I how it is done. But he lived it on our behalf. The life that you and I can't, we can't live in our own strength. He lived it on our behalf. And when he died on the cross, it was as if he lived that completely opposite life. As if he lived a completely unworthy, horrible, stinky, messy life that you and I probably tend to lead. That was laid upon him when he died on the cross. Friends, that's how he brought us he redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of light. Here's the thing. As Christians, we often reflect on the part that he rescued us from darkness. Yes, he rescued us from darkness. But here's the thing. He redeemed us for the kingdom of light. He didn't just rescue us from darkness. He rescued us for a kingdom of light. So the only way that we can live a life that is worthy of this God, of this king, and learn to live a life of in this kingdom is when we behold the king himself. When we behold this king, love him more than anything else, see his beauty, let our hearts be captured by it, our hearts, our lives start to reflect automatically. Automatically, our lives start to reflect this kingdom. You are not doing this for him, to please him, because he's already pleased. But when we begin to enjoy this king who did this for us, you're like, wow. Our lives begin to transform automatically without our striving. When we behold the king, our lives reflect his kingdom. And that is why Paul does something beautiful. Right after praying this prayer, he, grew, he goes into doing the, the, probably the most powerful Christ exhortation that is in the Bible. As soon as he finishes the prayer, he says, he is the image of the invisible God. Would you read this with me at a slow pace? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. What is Paul doing? Guys, this prayer that I'm praying can only achieve so much. Behold this king. Behold this king. This is who he is. He has qualified us with what he's done. Fixing our gaze on him, beholding him, growing in our real knowledge of him. He will give us the strength and the endurance that we need to live a life that is worthy of God in today's world. I'd like to close with a picture 
of what it looks like to live a life that is worthy of God in this broken world. It's a real story of a, of a man named John Stephen Aquari. He was a marathon runner who represented Tanzania in the marathon in the 1968 Summer Olympics. This marathon was in the Mexico City. And while, com while competing in that Mexico City, John Aquari crampled up because of the high altitude of the city. In his place, he couldn't practice in that high altitude. At about 30 kilometer mark, a marathon is about 42 kilometers. At about the 30 kilometer mark, while he was struggling with his cramped up feet, there was some jockeying for position and a couple of runners came and pushed him and he fell, wounding and dislocating his joint. His shoulder hit hard against the pavement. However, he continued running when 17 of the first 54 runners gave up. He continued running. Over an hour after the first position guy finished and all the press and the media went to the, to the felicitation ceremony, someone got, gave the, the media team a word saying, there is one more guy, the last guy finishing the race. Limping, bleeding, when he entered the stadium, about few thousands who were left in that stadium started cheering him on to finish that race. He ran and ran and the press and the media came and covered that. And at the end of the race, when he finished it, the press asked, why did you finish it? So many people gave up. Why did you finish it? You know what he said? My country didn't fly me 5,000 kilometers to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 kilometers to finish the race. He ran a race that is worthy of his country. He was not forced to do it. He ran it because he wanted to do it. Friends, that's what the gospel does. Religion might force you into doing things, but the gospel makes you want to do it. Isn't this how our life looks in this broken world? Crampled up, pushed around, bleeding, broken. Friends, God himself, when we behold him, see his beauty, it will empower us, strengthen us, build endurance when we most need it. When we feel like giving up, as probably some of you are this morning, would you fix your gaze on Christ the King who empowers us to finish the race? Finish the race and live a life that is worthy of him. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, what does this mean for you? Everywhere we look, our work, our, our friends, our, our dreams and passions, they're constantly asking us, prove yourself. Prove that you're worth it. 
prove that you are worth it we are in this constant race day and night to prove that we are worth it only christ says come and take my worth you don't need to prove yourself you are worth it would you like to embrace this christ who gives his perfect worth to our hearts my prayer is that you will allow me to close us in prayer as the band comes up father we truly want to thank you because your heart for us is not to to fulfill a, a bunch of empty traditions and stick to some rule book your heart for us is to fall in love with your son jesus who transforms us and gives us the desire to be transformed so this morning holy spirit we submit to that work of yours help our hearts to fall in love with jesus in a way that will impact everything about ourselves in a joyful way not in a boring dutiful religious manner help us to live a life that is worthy of you because you are doing it for us in us and through us in your name we pray jesus amen